Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Glad you can join us. We not only like to help people save money on this show, we also like to help save lives. Currently, one of the biggest safety issues concerning automobiles and motorists is distracted driving. A vast majority of drivers bring a phone with them into their car, and a large number frequently place and receive calls while driving. Some even seem addicted to talking on the phone while they're behind the wheel. With the growth of smartphones, tablets, and other devices, drivers can now do a lot more besides talk while behind the wheel. They can text, send and receive email, check for the lowest gas prices, surf the Internet, even watch a movie. Car companies are in a race to add more features that can accommodate smartphones and to embed Internet connectivity in the vehicles themselves. Cars and trucks are now mobile hotspots. All of this, however, is distracting drivers from the most important task, driving. April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month, and we will highlight that event today by discussing distracted driving with David Teeter, Senior Director of Transportation Initiatives for the National Safety Council. We will talk with David about what he sees as the major causes of distracted driving and what the options are for reducing those distractions. But before we start this discussion, here's this week's auto news you might be able to use. Rear-view cameras that show what's behind a vehicle when the transmission is in reverse will be required on all cars and light trucks by the middle of 2018, or basically the 2019 model year. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration earlier this week issued final rules for a regulation that makes backup cameras mandatory. In 2008, Congress voted to require backup cameras by 2011, but the final rule had been delayed over cost concerns. Those delays prompted safety advocates to sue the federal government to force it to put a requirement in place. The government estimates that 210 people are killed per year and 15,000 are injured in back-over accidents. Small children are particularly vulnerable because they are harder to see when they are behind a vehicle. NHTSA estimates the regulation will save 58 to 69 lives per year once it is fully in effect. Many current vehicles already are available with a backup camera, either a standard equipment or an extra cost option. The General Motors recall of cars with faulty ignition switches had GM CEO Mary Barra on the hot seat in Washington this week. Barra testified before a, uh, committees in both the House and Senate about why GM took so long to recall 2.6 million vehicles that it knew had faulty ignition switches. Internal documents show that GM knew of problems with the ignition switches for at least 10 years before issuing one recall in February and another in March. Barra said GM is conducting an internal investigation as to why that happened and who was at fault. Senators and congressmen indicated, indicated they want her to come back to give more testimony in the future. Some said they think GM covered up the defect and that criminal charges against GM are warranted. The recall of 2.6 million vehicles, mainly Chevrolet Cobalts and Saturn Ions, is to replace an ignition switch that could unexpectedly turn off while the vehicle was being driven, disabling the airbags. At least 12 deaths have been attributed to the faulty ignition switches. At least eight of those deaths occurred after GM had redesigned the ignition switch, but did not recall earlier models that had the faulty switches. The publicity over the deaths and the recalls has not damaged GM sales so far. In March, GM sales were up in the U.S. were up 7%. Sales for the auto industry as a whole were up 6%. April is Read Your Owner's Manual Month here on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. We're encouraging everyone to pull that information-packed book 
out of the glove box to find out what you don't know about your vehicle but probably should know. Whether you just bought a new vehicle recently or have been driving the same one for five years, there's probably some helpful information in the owner's manual you aren't aware of. For example, just about every vehicle now has a height adjustment for the driver's seat, even those that don't have power seats. Yet, I have had car owners tell me their seat is too low for them, and they didn't know there was a lever that lets them manually raise the seat. If only they had looked in the owner's manual. Since the 2008 model year, all cars and light trucks have come with tire pressure monitoring systems. There are two kinds. One tells you how much air pressure there is in each tire. The other only tells you when at least one tire is low on air, but not which one. Which type do you have? Do you know if it's working? That's all in your owner's manual. And if you're at least a bit intimidated by the audio system, the Bluetooth functions, or how to use the navigation system, you have plenty of company. One solution that some people use is to just not use them very much. But since you paid for all that stuff, why not read the instructions that are in the owner's manual? You'll not only get more use from those features, you might be less distracted when you do use them. Today's show is about distracted driving, and if you're barking voice commands that the voice recognition system doesn't understand, you are distracted. Ditto if you're spending too much time looking at a touchscreen instead of at the road. Learn how to use those features when the, car, when the car is stopped, not while you're driving. Look in your owner's manual for help. The preceding announcement was brought to you as a public service by the Read Your Owner's Manual Foundation, dedicated to the proposition that when all else fails, you should read the instructions that came with your car. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. Distracted driving has become a hot topic among safety advocates and regulators as more vehicles gain new entertainment and information features that rely on smartphones and connections to the Internet. With many current cars and trucks, just about anything you can do from a computer at home, you can also do in your vehicle. And many people do a lot of those things while they're driving. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimates that more than 3,300 people died in 2012 because drivers were distracted and thousands more were injured. Automakers continue to add infotainment capabilities to their vehicles, and many of these features allow hands-free operation. The car companies say hands-free makes them less of a distraction than manual controls. But there's bound to be some downsides to all these features, even if they're hands-free. Joining me today to talk about distracted driving is David Teeter, Senior Director of Transportation Initiatives for the National Safety Council. The National Safety Council was founded in 1913, and its mission is to save lives and prevent injuries on the road, at work, and at home. David's role as Senior Director is to lead initiatives that reduce deaths and injuries associated with teen driving and distracted driving. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Rick. How are you this afternoon? Good, thank you, and appreciate you joining us. David, you know, the uh, figure I just threw out about 3,300 deaths from distracted driving in 2012 probably encompasses of many different issues, but currently what are the types of distractions that are most troublesome? Well, Rick, that's, a, that's an involved question. It's a good one. Um, the, the numbers that are reported on fatalities come from a national database called FARS Fatality Analysis Reporting System. And uh, that database is only as good as the information it gets. Uh, right. So uh, a police department in one town may not include information exactly. that, that another town does. And the issue with, with distracted driving of all kinds, but, but especially cell phone distracted driving, is it's very difficult to conclude if a cell phone was involved in a crash. There is no blood alcohol content test that we can do for, you know, someone who runs a red light while talking on a cell phone. Uh, uh, the officer can ask 
if the person was on the phone. I, I think maybe 10 years ago they would have got a pretty honest answer, but today it's not real popular to be distracted on the phone and cause crashes. So, And in some states it's illegal, so we don't think that they're getting uh, truthful answers. It's not as easy to get cell records as you might think. In fact, in a criminal case, it's, uh, it's very difficult to get cell records. Uh, mm. They tend to come out in civil cases, but, you know, if you think about it, if somebody's talking on a, on a hands-free system and runs a, a light somewhere, which is a, one of the kind of crashes we typically see when someone's cognitively distracted, when, when that happens, um, there's nothing illegal about talking on a hands-free device. So, so a subpoena really needs to be based on a search warrant, which is based on a suspicion that you've done something wrong. And in this case, there's nothing you would have done wrong, even if you were doing it, because it's not illegal. So the, uh, the wireless companies are actually in a bind when they get those uh, subpoenas, because there's some you know, probably reasonable understanding they may, may not be legal um, search warrants. So it's just very difficult to get that. And, and almost always an officer has something more um, punitive that they can cite the person with, like running a red light or, mm-hmm. or failure to yield or something like this. So it's a tremendous amount of work for what ends up being just a checkbox on a crash report. And, uh, you know, we we did an interesting study um, about a year ago. We reviewed uh, thousands of news articles and came up with what we felt to be, based on a set of criteria, 180 known fatalities that resulted from cell phone use while driving. And, and the criteria involved, the, the biggest criteria was the person admitted it. So somewhere they said, yep, I was on the cell phone. Others were, they were observed by multiple witnesses. Mm-hmm. And the third criteria was it came out in a civil trial long after the crash report had been filed through subpoenaing cell records. So it, it was pretty solid. We knew that the person was on a cell phone. We compared those cases. We tracked them right back through the FARS database and only half of them were reported as cell phone distracted driving, and those are the ones we know about. You know, oh, we think there's excuse me. So, <laughs> so, so for the ones in which you verified were able to verify that a cell phone was being used. Only half of those actually got officially reported as. That's correct. I see. And you know, there's another segment underneath that of people who we suspect were on a phone but can't prove it. Yeah. And then there's another group under that where there's no way to know. You know, that might be a young person who's reading a text message and runs off the road and hits a tree. Um, there's no way to know from cell records that they were ever on a cell phone or involved in texting. So when you put all three of those groups together and realize the group that we know for sure was on the phone is only half reported correctly, we think that 3,000 number may be grossly underreported, grossly mm. underreported. Mm. So it's a big problem. Um, you know, I went back to your original question. I, I, uh, there's something that's really misunderstood about distracted driving. What's that? You know, if you, th- if you think about it, all we should care about is what causes crashes. We shouldn't care too much about what people do behind the wheel of a car unless it's unsafe and causes crashes, right? Mm-hmm. So distracted driving crashes are made up of two things, and we tend to only focus on one of them. And the two, the first thing that we all understand is how risky is it, you know? How risky is it to talk on a cell phone and drive? How risky is it to put on makeup and drive? How risky is it to, you know, be disciplining noisy kids in the back seat? How, how risky is it to be looking for something in a backpack in the passenger seat? How risky is it to adjust the radio? On and on and on. And researchers have tried to measure levels of risk, and, you know, they're pretty good at it. And, you know, some of the most uh, risky things you can do is, is to reach for a moving object or to turn around in your seat, maybe mm-hmm. try and reach for something in a back seat. They're very dangerous. Talking on a cell phone has been kind of falls in the area of moderate risk. It's not the riskiest thing you can do. Texting, though, is one of the riskiest things. That's way up there as far as how how uh, how risky and distracting it is. But that's only half the equation. And the part that nobody thinks of after that is none of that matters if we're not ever exposed to the risk. That's the other part of, of risk. You, you have to have a threat, you have to have a risk, and then you have to come in contact with that risk or exposure. There's some there's a new form of research where they put cameras in cars and let people drive around in the real world, and they and if there's a crash, they go back to see what happened. You know, it's real hard to determine what causes crashes sometimes. Right. This is a way to do it in the real world, and some of those studies have actually caught people changing their clothes while driving down the road. <laughs> 
you know, that's going to be off the charts risky. But but why aren't we having an hour-long talk show today on, on the dangers of changing clothes while driving down the road? Because, thank goodness, not many people do it, right? right? That, that's right. the other side of this. And, and the reason we focus so much on cell phones isn't because, especially conversation, it's the riskiest thing you can do, although it's still pretty risky. You mm-hmm. know, it's right in that moderate area. It's because we're exposed to it continuously. Right. Right. There is no other activity or distraction out there that are drivers involved in that even hold a candle to the, the, the amount of contact we come into of people who are distracted in one way or another by a cell phone. Right. We have to pause here for a break, uh, but please stay tuned. When we come back, we will continue our discussion of distracted driving with David Teeter of the National Safety Council. Stay with us. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today's topic is distracted driving, and my guest today is David Teeter, Senior Director of Transportation Initiatives for the National Safety Council. And distracted driving is truly a personal matter for David. In 2004, his 12-year-old son, Joe, was killed when a young woman who was talking on a cell phone ran a red light and hit the vehicle in which Joe Teeter was riding. The uh, We were talking before the break about the uh, scope of uh, distracted driving. There's always been distractions, you name some of them, even, you know, disciplining your kids, picking up something that rolled off the seat. But is it different now because people bring so many devices with them into the car they have so many more things they can do in while they're driving besides drive yeah i think it is rick i mean it's that's a good question and there are some researchers that have kind of said gee if we if we take away the distraction of cell phones drivers will just replace it with some other activity Hmm. but you know there's something about being involved in a conversation with somebody who you don't see who's not sitting right across the table from you kind of like you and i are now that requires more cognitive effort. Our, our brains got to work harder on that conversation, you know. Or you kind of imagine how the person might be might be behaving. You you don't have visual clues to look at, so you're kind of processing all that. We we've never had to understand that before. I mean, we've been driving cars for what about 125 years. We've been talking on phones for 100. We've only combined those two activities to any great degree in the last 10 or 15 years. We were always wired to a desk somewhere, but. With the mobile communications revolution, we can do stuff anywhere today that we, you know, we couldn't do just a few years ago. And we're finding out that the, the brain really gets engaged in some of these tasks. And, and, and when it does, it doesn't switch very well back and forth. Um, the brain really doesn't multitask. Any psychologist will tell you that. There's really no debate on that issue. It doesn't multitask. It toggle tasks. It switches back and forth. And some people are better switchers than others. We call them good multitaskers. But at any given moment, like if we're talking on a phone and driving a car, one of those tasks is primary and the other one is secondary. And what we found is when we're driving a car and talking on the phone, it's the talking task that's primary. It's it's not the driving task. And it's probably because about 95% of the time, driving is pretty uneventful. doesn't mm-hmm. require a lot of skill. The problem is it's that 1% to 5% of the time where we need to react immediately that could save our lives or somebody else's. If we're engaged in something else, we don't switch back fast enough. I noticed on your website, which uh, is nsc.org, uh, that there's a, uh, there's a piece called The Great Multitasking Lie, <laughs> which, yeah. uh, which I believe in there you estimate that 21% of accidents involve somebody yakking on a cell phone. That's our estimate for uh, for the year 2012, based on a combination of data we get from NHTSA, and the estimate that talking on a cell phone increases your crash risk fourfold, which is about the number that most researchers have come up with. But but yeah, you know, a good example. I, I like to ask people this. You know, if you were sitting at home reading a book one evening, or or, or even a newspaper or magazine, and your phone rang, would you keep right on re- reading the book while you talked on the phone? <laughs> Probably not, right? No. You wouldn't do that, right? What do you need to read a book? You need your hands to hold it, you need your eyes to recognize the words, and your brain to comprehend what the words are saying. Put them in a sentence and a thought. What do you need to drive a car? 
You need your hands to hold the wheel. You need your eyes to see the environment. And you need your brain to, to interpret what you're seeing and identify risk and be prepared for hazards. Now, we would never dream of reading a book and talking on the phone, but somehow we think talking on the phone and driving a car is expected even. It's normal. I mean, these things started out as car phones. Uh, what happens if you make a mistake reading a book? you got to reread a paragraph or right. something. What happens if you make a mistake driving a car? It could impact your life or somebody else's forever, and you can't undo it. Right. The uh, uh, I think 42 states have laws against texting while driving, and um, I, I believe I saw on your site that 12 states ban uh, handheld cell phone use while driving. I thought it was Correct. more states uh, didn't let you, you know, use a handheld cell phone. No, it, it's 12, and and quite frankly, based on what we just talked about, you know, we don't really support those laws. Um, really? In fact, we worry, a, yeah, we worry a little bit that it could be telling people that, gee, if it's illegal to use a handheld phone and it's legal to use a hands-free phone, it must be perfectly safe to talk on a hands-free phone. Therefore, I'm going to do it even more than I used to yeah. because now I'm on a hands-free. And, you know, I'd just ask a similar question. If if you're sitting at home reading a book and, and your phone rings, if you answer it hands-free, does that mean you can keep reading the book? <laughs> Does that work fine? Uh, of course not. Now, obviously, when you take your eyes off the road to maybe answer a phone call or dial a number, at those few seconds, you are more distracted than when you're engaged mentally in the phone call. But now we've got to go back to this 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 risk exposure thing or frequency thing we talked about. You know, I used to, back in the old days before we lost our son, I was a heavy cell phone user, and I used to frequently drive for business from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Detroit. I worked for the auto industry, and, mm-hmm. and it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive, and, I, and I, I might be on the phone for two hours of that two-and-a-half hours. With a handheld. Now, of those uh, handheld or yeah. hands-free. I'd use yeah. hands-free sometime, too. But of, of those two hours, it was only a minute or two that I was dialing or receiving a phone call. Mm-hmm. It was the other hour and 58 minutes that I was distracted cognitively. So when it's all over, you know, the, the, when my eyes were off the road dialing, I was more distracted, but it didn't last as long. So when we look at crash involvement, we can't find a safety benefit to hands-free, and it's because it doesn't eliminate the cognitive distraction. The World Health Organization called the cognitive distraction, your mind not being focused on the road, mm-hmm. is the most dangerous of all of them, not because the risk is the highest, but because it lasts so much longer. Your eyes may be looking at the road ahead, but your mind is not engaged with what you're seeing? Yeah, and as a result, you don't see everything. And we we we've got all kinds of evidence on this. We you know we'll frequently have somebody driving down the road in a simulator, and they'll be talking on a hands-free phone, and they'll they'll run a uh, run a stoplight, they'll run a red light, and there won't it won't cause a crash. There won't be any traffic in the intersection. And when they get done with the simulation, we'll say, "How do you think you drove?" And they say, I "Drove great." And we say, "What about that red light?" And they say, "What red light?" Uh-huh. And we know their eyes were looking straight at it. Um, you know, that's what happened in the case of my son. That's that's how I got involved in this. I. You know, a young lady was talking on a phone, looking straight out the windshield. And she she was in a uh, two two southbound lanes, and the right hand lane was uh, five cars and a school bus stopped for a stoplight. And in her lane, that was wide open. There was nobody in her lane, and she sped past the four cars and the school bus. Oh she didn't see the red light. She didn't see the traffic crossing in front of her. She didn't hit the first car. She hit my wife's car, which was the third or fourth car, and the crash recorder, so she never touched her brakes. And when I saw the the research, the crash report on that, I said, how could anyone make such a mistake? And that's when I read about inattention blindness and another thing they call tunnel vision, where our eyes kind of get locked straight ahead mm-hmm. while we're on the phone. They stop scanning the forward roadway, and, and it was just like, why why don't more of us understand this and know more about it? So uh, you mentioned that, that you're, uh, you're not um, in high praise of the hands-free cell phone laws. In California, they adopted one in July of 2008. And two years later, they did a study, they issued a study, and they, according to their data, they said overall traffic deaths in California declined 22%, while handheld cell phone driver deaths went down 47%. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw that research and, you know, it, it, every piece of research we get doesn't mean it's, it's, it's solid. And, and one of the biggest issues I've got with it, that we have no idea how many handheld cell phone deaths there were because of the limitations we talked about earlier. Hmm. It's just not reported. There's no way to know. 
what they were doing some observational studies and they were looking to see if people stopped using handheld devices and it looks like there was somewhat of a decrease but the ability to know how that related to crashes is just it, there's no state that's been able to demonstrate that the uh, the insurance institute for highway safety actually did a study that, that was also somewhat limited but it looked at that very issue and i think california was one of the states it looked at and it compared them to neighboring states that did not pass the laws and they saw no difference they saw no difference in property damage claims which is what they were looking at which is what we would expect now the the thing you don't know rick is is maybe people say well they just passed a law for example illinois just passed a law on right. january 1st um and maybe i'm just not going to fool around with a handheld device i don't like them i don't like using them so i'm just going to stop talking on the phone so if that's the case and total cell phone use while driving goes down then we would expect to see it a, a benefit but you know there's over 30 studies that have tried to find a benefit to using a hands-free device, and they can't come up with one. Really? Um, our, yeah, ourselves, the National Transportation Safety Board, the uh, World Health Organization, the Governor's Highway Traffic Safety Association, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, we've all had our researchers look at this, and we've all come to the conclusion that there is no safety benefit to using a hands-free device while driving. Hmm. Uh, one of the most misunderstood things about this whole issue. Uh, you know, just a, as a sideline, I came across this recently that Michigan has a uh, law against texting while driving, and their state police did a, I think it was a phone survey at the end of 2012, and I don't have this in front of me, but, you know, X number of people said, admitted to texting while driving in the survey. A year later, the number of people who text while driving went up. Even yep. though, even though there is a law, you know, against it in place, I gathered that one of the reasons for that is that more people have the capability to text while driving uh, with their phones, but also is that they're more comfortable with doing that. Which is well, I I wouldn't say they're more comfortable. I, I well, I, I, let me take that back. I think it depends on the age group. Mm -hmm. I think certainly young people are more comfortable texting than they are yeah. calling. Um, so, it, but I think they were texting already. I think what's really changed with texting is, you know, five or six years ago, it was just young people doing it. And, and, you right. know, I'm in my fifties. We, we didn't text. Um, we thought it was kind of strange. And then all of a sudden we found out that's the only way our kids respond to us. So we learned how to text <laughs> and we had, you know, it's a pretty neat way to communicate. So yeah. I, I'm not a, I don't text as much as a young person does, but I like texting and, and, uh, it's just become a, a part of the way we communicate. Today. Right. It's dramatically changed. I, you know, laws by themselves only, in, and I've heard different stats on this, but most people in the traffic safety uh, industry will say if you pass a law, about 20% of people are just going to blindly follow it. They'll just do it. It's the law. They're rule followers. But the other 80% need more than that. They need to understand why they should follow it. They need to understand there's consequences if they don't, you know, that they'll get a ticket and that the fine will be significant. And we're not there yet on texting. Um, you know, this whole mobile communication device distraction issue really falls into two camps. Uh, and David, we've been, we've been talking, go ahead. David, I, I'm sorry, we do, yeah, we do have to take a break here. Okay. So please hold that thought. And I'd also, when we'll we come back, is to talk about what would make laws more effective. So, uh, you got it. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break. Please stay with us. Now, more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about distracted driving today, a timely topic given that April is Distracted Driving Awareness Month. My guest is David Teeter of the National Safety Council, who leads that organization's efforts to reduce deaths and injuries associated with teen driving and distracted driving. You can find out more about the National Safety Council at its website, nsc.org. And if you have a question or a comment for David, call us at 888-463-6748. But there is a caveat. Please do not call if you are driving, because David will then hang up and end the interview. Again, <laughs> that is 888-463-6748. Before the break, David, uh, I interrupted you. You started to say uh, something about the explosion of mobile technology. 
Yeah, it's, it's really the distractions that come from that have kind of fallen into two issues or two camps, and we've, we've addressed both of them. But the, the one has to do with knowing it's dangerous, like texting. Mm-hmm. It, it, there aren't many people out there that say, yeah, I think it's just fine to text. Everybody should be able to do it. Most people say, oh, yeah, my God, how can anyone text while driving? So, so it, it, the issue with that is how do you get people to not do it? You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's the same thing with speeding or drunk driving. We all understand, unfortunately, some people still do it. So that's one issue, and that's more of an education and enforcement issue. And then the other one is what we were talking about earlier, and that's the lack of understanding of cognitive distraction and how we need more than just our hands on the wheel and our eyes on the road. We have to have our mind engaged in the task of driving. And that is more of an education issue. You know, that has to do with the hands-free issue where it's not safer to use a hands-free device. So, you know, we try and do both. We try and educate people on the on the hands-free issue and then at the same time we try and work with states or law enforcement organizations to get you know better texting laws and ways to enforce them now i i have to say uh you know what you're saying here it sounds like a salmon swimming upstream yeah yeah and i say that because you know when people used to get excited about a new car because of the way it looks or you know the horsepower it had now they want to show you all the infotainment features and what they can do with their phone in the car. I mean, that's well, they do. They, they get yeah. that's that's what they're most excited about, and the auto companies are bending over backwards to accommodate them. In fact, they're in an arms race over that. I agree with that, um, and and that's dangerous. I mean, they, 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 that concerns us very much, and. And Rick, I worked for the auto industry for 25 years, and I got a lot of friends in, in that mm-hmm. industry. They're in a little bit of a tough spot, and you know, you guys are in in the in the car business, so you kind of know that one of the problems we have with with traffic safety is that many of us out there think we're better drivers than the other guy, and most of us, you know. Most of us do, and if you ask, you know, a hundred people to raise their hand if they think they're better than the other guy, about ninety percent of them raise their hand. And you never want to get in the car with one of the ten percent that didn't, because they must be really bad. But um, you know, it's kind of like I, I do not want you updating Facebook while driving down the road. But right. I'm a really good multitasker, and I can do it. And if you know GM through their OnStar system has a way for me to do that, well, first of all, if they're going to allow me to do it, it must be safe. And I'm, and secondly, I'm at least going to go in and to their showroom and take a look at the car. And mm-hmm. and that's what's going on. I mean, we and it has become an arms race. And uh, you know, unfortunately, they've 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 put all of their efforts behind a couple of uh, extremely limited studies that were not able to find a lot of crashes happening when unless people were taking their eyes off the road so they the studies drew the conclusion that it's, it's your eyesight that keeps you safe and not not your brain and uh, that just contradicts all these other studies that have been out there for a long time so it's scary it you know I'm afraid we're we're kind of letting the genie out of the bottle and it's going to be hard to get it back in but uh you know, I would just say, and again, I have a lot of friends in the auto industry, but I'm not sure it's the auto industry we ought to turn to, especially in light of some of the headlines you read when we started this show, uh, you know, to tell us what's safe and what isn't. I, they're, it, you know, maybe hard to say or hard to hear, but the auto company shareholders do not pay them or, or ask them to build the world's safest car that nobody will buy. You know, right. if that was the case, cars probably wouldn't exceed 60 or 80 miles an hour. I mean, we've had that technology for years. That's not what consumers want. The automakers are the best marketing companies in the world. They're giving consumers what they want, even if occasionally it risks their lives and others. And uh, unfortunately, this mobile communications revolution has moved into the car industry long before there was much understanding about the dangers and the distractions that result from it. What uh, what would make laws more effective uh, governing cell phone use or other um, uh, infotainment features? Well, it's pretty straightforward. It, what first of all, as far as the infotainment systems, um, we probably need uh, NHTSA, which is you know who who is a federal agency that re- regulates the car companies, mm-hmm. to chime in on this issue of cognitive distraction. They've they've kind of sat on the sidelines of that. They've uh, they've looked at things like. You know, does the infotainment system require you to take your eyes off the road? If so, for how long? But they've kind of stayed away from this thing about what impact it's having on your your mind's ability to be engaged in the task of driving. So, you know, they do uh, offer regulations and, and, and do regulate the auto industry, and they probably need to look at that a little bit harder. Um, as far as uh, uh, laws and enforcement, I mean, it's really pretty straightforward. First, you need a law. Then you need enforcement. Then you need significant penalties. Mm 
And in the case of texting, uh, we've got about the first third of that done. We've got laws in, in 42 states, mm-hmm. uh, but very few states have significant penalties. And uh, very few states have either figured out how to enforce it or, ha- or, or maybe they know how to enforce it. They just don't have the resources to do it. So that's kind of the next two steps. That's, that's consistent with, you know, the, the efforts in drunk driving back in the early 1980s. It, it started with education. Then they passed some kind of weak laws that everybody ignored. Then they stiffened the laws. Then they got, you know, things like mandatory license uh, revocation for first offenses in most states. So, you know, the penalties then went up. And as a result, we've had an impact on uh, on preventing impaired and drunk driving crashes. Now, in California, uh, if you violate the uh, hands-free law, the uh, first ticket carries a uh, fine and court cost of $161, a minimum. And the second ticket's at least $281. Appropriate or should they be higher? I, I would guess that's probably appropriate. You know, the other issue, and I just can't comment on this, then is how aggressively is it enforced? Right. So you know, you, you need both of those. If, if you've got significant penalties, but no, you never hear of anybody ever getting pulled over for it, and you see people doing it every day. Right. Then, if you're so inclined to engage in that activity, it's probably not much of a deterrent. If, on the other hand, you have high visibility enforcement, or you know, cops can get pretty creative on how they do this stuff. Um, they can use, you know, high high off the ground vehicles so they can look down upon a driver to see mm-hmm. if they're actually texting below the below the window line. Uh yeah, I, I heard I heard one of uh you know a undercover traffic cop posing as a window washer at a street corner. <laughs> and he'd go up and wash the window and if somebody was illegally using their phone he'd radio ahead to the guy you block down the road and they'd pull him over and issue a ticket. So I mean there's ways to do it. Um NHTSA has sponsored a couple of high visibility enforcement projects that showed they can enforce these these laws. It's just they need the resources and they need the commitment and the priority to do it. Now uh as you mentioned uh previously Illinois just uh adopted a hands-free law January 1st, and if it's being enforced, uh, you could fool me. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. And, and and you know, part of the issue, I think, here may be is that in our system, our, you know, uh, uh, republic where each state, you know, sets its own traffic laws is that you can drive in one state, such as Illinois, go next door to Indiana, and there's no hands-free requirement. You know, so would a national law or regulation be of a help? Well, I think it would be, although I, I don't think there's any chance of that happening. I, yeah. You know, state states have always been looked to to issue traffic legislation. The only exception to that are, you know, people who drive for commercial purposes across state lines, and, uh, and then NHTSA can issue some regulations, which they have, and I think we'll see more of those. But, yeah, I, I do a lot of traveling. I rented a car in uh, Texas last weekend. And, uh, I, you know, kind of pulled up next to people or, or came, came and encountered people who were texting. And I, you know, I just, it scares me to death when I see that. Um, you know, it bothers me to see people talking on phones too, but especially if they're texting. And then I kind of realized, oh, wait a minute. I'm in Texas. They're doing absolutely nothing illegal. It's perfectly legal to right. text and drive down the road in Texas. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating when, when the laws are, are not consistent throughout the United States. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, both the uh, uh, seatbelt uh, laws and um, the uh, drunk driving, or, or, or I'm sorry, the drinking age of 21 became, uh, in effect, national because the Federal Department of Transportation threatened to withhold uh, funds from state highway departments. That, that's correct, and there's you know there is some debate, and there's not agreement on how effective that is. Um, mm. There are safety advocates who'll tell you it's extremely effective, and there are others that say it's not. In fact, some states might go just the other way if it's the federal government, um, you know, threatening highway funds. Right. Um, I, I think in our current uh, environment, uh, uh, what I want to say, political environment, it would be very difficult to uh, to get sanctions passed, which is what they're called. Um, uh, so I, I don't see that as, as happening anytime in the near future. So what can we do? Well, we keep educating people. We people like you have shows like this. You know, I, what I ask everybody to do is to you know do their own little experiment. Take a month, go a whole month without using your cell phone while driving. Period. Nothing. And you know what? What I explain to people is you don't decide to do it forever. That's overwhelming. 
You know, we've we've become addicted to these things. Just pick a month, and at the end of the month, you don't think you're a better driver if your world's falling apart, if you don't see lots of, you know, distracted cell phone drivers that might even start to scare you a little bit. Well, then you can always go back and do whatever, you know, your state law is. But, but what if you find out that your world doesn't fall apart? Most of us find out we get out of the car significantly less stressed and more relaxed. We find out that we make adaptions and, and our business gets along just fine. Um, and then the other thing is, I mean, if you think you're noticing bad cell phone drivers now, wait until you stop being distracted on the cell phone. You'll see about 10 times as many, and it scares you. You know, uh, state of California, that's the other thing. Public opinion is really changing on this issue. State of California every year does a motorist survey for a well, while. They've been doing it for 20 years. And one of the questions in the survey is, what are you most afraid of on California highways? And for 18 years, it was drunk drivers. For the last two years, it's been cell phone drivers. Hmm. I mean, and, and again, you're missing a lot of those if you're also distracted on the phone while driving. So, um, you know, the more people do this, it, you kind of become an advocate when you stop using your phone and you see all the bad driving that's out there and how many people you come in contact with and you know another thing i ask parents you, you're going to have a if you got young children at home at some point they're going to turn 16 and they're going to be ready to drive and that is the most dangerous time of their lives that first 12 oh, yes. months after after yes. they get a license it's it's the fatality rates are a, a, a teen between the ages of 15 and 20 is more likely to die in a traffic crash than the next three leading causes of death combined, homicide, suicide, and cancer. So it's an extremely dangerous time. These kids are going to be addicted to their phones one way or another, texting or whatever the case may be. And how are you going to convince them they shouldn't do it when they've been sitting in the back seat for the last 15 years watching you do it? Good point. We have to pause here for one uh, more break, David. And Yes, sir. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with David Teeter of the National Safety Council about what we can do to reduce distracted driving in an era in which many want to be connected 24-7. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is David Teeter, who leads the National Safety Council's efforts to reduce deaths and injuries associated with teen driving and distracted driving. We're discussing distracted driving and what we as a society and as individuals can do to reduce the consequences of distracted driving. If you want to join the, uh, the conversation, please call us at 888-463-6748. But don't call if you're driving, because David will uh, not want to take the call. Again, that is 888-463-6748. David, just before the break, you were talking about teen driving and how those are you know, really the riskiest years uh, among drivers. And I, I know that here in Illinois, uh, my, my son's now about 23. And, um, back when he got his license, it was illegal then for drivers under the age of 18 to use a cell phone while driving, but you wouldn't know it by riding around. I don't know if they ahead. didn't, if, if they didn't, you know, teach it in driver's education or if they, you know, kids just ignored it, but, it was disheartening. It is, and I think there's there's two parts to that. Um, uh, many states have components of their graduate driver's licensing program that prohibits people, usually in the first six to eighteen months of licensure, to use any kind of phone, handheld or hands-free, while driving. Hmm. Um, unfortunately for law enforcement, it's very difficult for them to look at a vehicle and know somebody's age. Yeah. So, uh, you know, somebody's talking on a handheld phone before the law went into effect in Illinois, which was perfectly legal as long as they weren't in Chicago. But, um, you know, an officer wouldn't know if they were 17 or 19. Um, so it's very difficult for the police to enforce that. It's really looked at as more of a parent's responsibility. It, it gives the parents the ability to say, you know, Tommy, uh, it's not only against the law, but I want you to come home safely. So our rule for you and the law in the state of Illinois is you do not use that phone while driving. And if we determine you have, there will be consequences. I mean, that's kind of the conversation we're trying to set up. But the other part of that is 
you know, it's this generation, which we understand is, is uh, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word addicted, but some people think it's appropriate, right. addicted to this form of communications. They can't live without it. Yeah, it's like you're uh, cutting off their oxygen. Exactly. Um, what does that and, say about you know, the future of driving? Well, I... <laughs> I'm not it. I'm not optimistic about the near term. I mean, I think in in the long term, uh, we're gonna we're making tremendous advancements. The auto industry is making tremendous advancements with crash avoidance technology and vehicle to vehicle communications technology. That's gonna continue to reduce the rate of crashes. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the near term, we're a little concerned. I mean, if you look at the at the, we've been reducing both fatalities and crashes per 100 million miles driven, which is the best way to measure. It's not perfect, but it kind of takes into effect gas prices and recessions and all that. We've been reducing those numbers for 50, 60 years. So, I mean, for any one of us, it's safer to drive a vehicle today than it was 60 years ago. Now, the total fatalities every year stay about the same because we drive more. Mm -hmm. But but the, the, the risk per person has been coming down. However, if you look at that decline in the last 10 years, it started to kind of level off. It hasn't declined as sharply as it was prior to that. And if you look at the last 10 years, we've got, you know, 87% of people now wear seatbelts. We've got airbags in every vehicle. We've got high visibility enforcement. We've got driver's license, uh, graduated driver's licensing program for young people. Mm -hmm. We've got analog brakes. I mean, on and on. We've got stability control, all this stuff in the last 10 years. And yet that rate of decline has started to, 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 to slow down to level off a little bit and in 2012 the most recent data we have it spiked it went back up could that be because there's a new threat out there and i think that's probably the case that's very interesting that uh, as you point out all the uh advances uh, in safety features on vehicles and and we should have seen dramatic levels. declines in those rates in the last 10 years and just the opposite the, the decline slowed way down hmm what more do you think vehicle manufacturers could do uh well, what else could they do to reduce well, I tell you what I'd, I'd love, I'd, you know, and we've actually asked them to do this, and you know, there are um, millions of parents. I think the number is about five million every year that have a new driver in their household, hmm. and they're deathly afraid of this kid getting in the car and texting or or talking, or, and even doing it on embedded systems. You know, we don't know too much about. Uh, the, the speech to text, you know, where you dictate a text message yes. and have it read back to you. But we've had only two studies that have looked at it, both in the last year. One was done by the Texas Transportation Institute and one was done by the uh, AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety. Both of them determined that text to speech actually was more distracting than manually entering text messages. And if you think about it, you know, the voice recognition systems aren't perfect. They get things wrong. You're composing something in your head and then dictating it out loud. And yet, you know, we've got GMs running an ad right now of a guy driving down the road with his wife and having the car read text messages to him about getting a tattoo the night before that he didn't remember. (laughs) You know, we're promoting this stuff. And how would you like to be the parent of a brand-new driver and put them in a car like that that almost encourages them to do that. So, and, and then the other group are employers. And, you know, we, we, we're an employer organization. We're a nonprofit. And we have 20,000 corporate members. And our employers, a great many of them, have put in policies that prohibit their employees from using any kind of mobile communications while driving, whether it's embedded or not. Oh, so, what have. we're saying to the. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, we think about 20% of the Fortune 500 companies have those policies in place. Um, and we're, that's about all I do. Our phone rings off the hook with companies wanting to know what best safety practice is and how they can get away with it. So, so that's moving in the right direction. Um, and, and what we're saying to the auto manufacturers is give those two groups, give parents and give employers the ability to turn off some of this technology. Just give us an on-off switch. You know, so that I can put my kid in the car and they're, they're, they not only can't, they're not only encouraged not to text to speech, they can't do it or speech to text. So, so that, that's the first thing that could happen. And, and it's just hard to understand why we can't have the ability to control some of that technology. You know, I, I would, uh, would have thought that one of the uh, reasons why cell phone use in cars increases because employers said, hey, you've got to talk to us. We've always got to be in contact. But you're saying it's actually somewhat going in the other direction. Well, it's definitely going in the other direction. Now, to what degree, I can't tell you for sure. We we called 
all 500 of the Fortune 500 companies in a survey two years ago. And we got about 180 of them that would agree to speak to us. And of those 180, 20% had total ban policies. And by total ban, we mean it applies to handheld and hands-free, and it applies to all groups of employees, everybody from the chief executive officer to the fleet driver. And um, if you look at the oil and gas industry, for example, and I, I think it's probably because, you know, obviously they've had some, some bad situations the last few years, but they do have the largest safety practices because of the nature of what they do. But ExxonMobil and Royal Dutch Shell have had worldwide bans against any kind of cell phone use while driving for 10 years now. Um, DuPont has a ban. Uh, Abbott in the Chicago area has put a ban in place. You know, they got pharma reps that don't use phones while driving anymore. Um, I could go on and on naming off names, but uh, it's become best safety practice, and it's starting again with those companies that have safety engineers. And when they go out and look at some of the research around this, they come back and they just said, look, there's no debate. This is a, 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 a distraction. It's a significant safety concern for our employees. Um, there's some liability issues now for companies, although, to be honest with you, I don't think that's the prime mover. I think the prime mover is trying to keep their employees safe. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, companies led the way on seatbelts. They, they required their employees to wear seatbelts long before laws were in place. So I think the same thing's probably happening here again. They probably have lawyers that look at it and say, what's this going to cost us if something yeah, there, goes there is up? some of that. That's, but that's which is liability o- side. Yeah, yeah, which is okay because they're doing the right thing. And, uh, Correct. Hopefully, more people will do the right thing as far as cell phone use while driving and in distracted driving situations in general. Well, you know, uh, Rick, there's no, there's really no bad guys in this story. I, you know, we, we built these things as car phones. I don't know if you remember that. That's what right. we called them when they first came out. It's the only place you could get one. They were too big. It was before even the bag phones. They, the first one I had was a big box they mounted in the trunk. And we built them mainly for business people. They were real expensive. They didn't work very well. We had no idea that the, mm. that the brain would be so engaged in a conversation that it would impact our ability to safely drive a vehicle. We do know that now. I mean, it, we, we've learned that. We understand it. We've got to get the word out. That's all there is. So, you know, the, again, the, 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 not bad people if they're using phones while driving. But I would encourage anyone, if they've heard anything today, to dig into some of the research themselves, to listen to some of the victim stories. I mean, that's the other thing. We've got mm. thousands of families like our own who have lost loved ones because of a phone call. Some of it was their fault. Some of it was the other person's fault. And, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to live and reconcile that, that you're, uh, you know, my 12-year-old would have been 23 uh, in, a, in a week or so, and uh, he's not here today because of a phone call. Yeah. That crash would not have happened if it wasn't for somebody talking on a cell phone and driving a vehicle. David Teeter of the National Safety Council, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for your interest in this, Rick. All right. Appreciate it. Okay. Take yes, care. Sir. That was David Teeter, Senior Director of the National Safety Council, one of several organizations promoting Distracted Driving Awareness Month, which is ongoing during April. That's about all the time we have for this week's show. Next week, we will help you survive the finance and insurance aspect of buying a new or used car. At many dealerships, the F&I office is where they make most of their money by marking up loan interest rates, and selling extended warranties, tire and wheel insurance, anything else they can talk you into buying. My guest will be Philip Reed, Senior Consumer Advice Editor at Edmunds.com. Philip has picked the brains of former finance and insurance managers to find out what goes on behind the scenes and how you can manage the F&I experience at a car dealership. That's next week here on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Until then, visit my website, CarsTrucksAndBucks.com. For news updates, vehicle reviews, and the latest on Read Your Owner's Manual Month. Thanks again to today's guest, David Teeter of the National Safety Council, and thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying, be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone.